Section number six of Psychotherapy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Thomas Coos. Psychotherapy by Hugo Münsterberg. Chapter six. Part two of Suggestion and Hypnotism. The two great types of suggestion, the suggestion of actions and the suggestion of ideas, have now come nearer together since we have seen that the suggestion of ideas is really a suggestion of the practical acceptance of ideas and that means of a preparation towards a certain line of action. In the one case, I suggest the idea of a certain action and this motor idea leads to the action itself and in the other case i suggest a certain preparatory setting for action and that will lead to the appropriate action whenever the time for action comes every suggestion is thus ultimately a suggestion of activity the most effective suggestion for an action results of course if both methods are combined that is if we suggest not only the will to perform the action but at the same time the belief that the end of the action will be real. Suggestion reaches us usually from without, yet there is again no new principle involved when the new motor setting results from one's own associations and emotions. Then we speak of auto-suggestion. It is the same difference which exists between the attention called forth through an outer impression and the attention directed by our own will. Loud noise demands our attention, and even whispered word may awaken associations which stir up the attention. In both cases, the channels for adjustment become opened without our intention. But if we are expecting something of importance, if we start to watch a certain development and to find something which we seek, we open the channels by our own effort beforehand and produce our own settings thus through a voluntary attention. In this way, suggestion may start from without, by a spoken word, by a movement, by a hint, or may start within us and may give us our caprices and our prejudices. We must not neglect one other feature of the suggestion. Not every proposition to action or to belief can be called a suggestion. Essential to remains the other side of it, the overcoming of the resistance. A mere request, please hand me the book on the table, or a mere communication, it rains, may produce and will produce the fit motor response. The movement towards handing over the book or opening of the umbrella and yet there may be no suggestive element involved. We have a right to speak of suggestion only if a resistance is to be broken down, that is, if the antagonistic impulse or the motor setting for the antagonistic action is relatively strong. If I say to the boy, hand me the book, when he was anxious to hide the book from my eyes and thus had the wish not to hand it to me and the tone of my request overwhelmed his own intention, then to be sure, suggestion is at work. The stronger the resistance, the greater the degree of suggestive power which is needed to overcome the motor setting. If I say to the normal man, it rains, while he sees the blue sky and the dry street, his impression will be stronger than my suggestion. But if he is suggestible, and I tell him that it will rain, he may accept it and take an umbrella on his walk. 
even if no indication makes a change of weather probable. The present impression of the dry street was strong enough to resist this suggestion. The imaginative idea of that which is to be expected in the next hour was too weak, and was overwhelmed by the suggestion of the weather prophecy. It is clear that the whole suggestive effect, being one of a new motor setting, depends thus entirely on the equilibrium of the personality which receives the suggestion. Every element which reaches the mind through sense organs or through associations must have influence in helping the one or the other side, that is, in opening the channels of action in the suggested direction or in the antagonistic one. The results appear surprising only if we forget how endlessly complex this psychomotor apparatus really is. If we disregard this complexity, we may easily have the feeling that one person has an unexplainable influence over another, as if the will of the one could control in a mysterious way the will of the other. But as soon as we see that every action is the result of the cooperation of hundreds of thousands of psychomotor impulses, which are an indefinite relation to antagonistic energies, and that the result depends upon the struggling and balancing of this most complex apparatus, then we understand more easily how outer influences may help the one or the other side to preponderance. As soon as the balance turns to one side, a completely new adjustment must set in. And we understand especially that there is nowhere a sharp demarcation line between receiving communications and receiving suggestions. By small steps, suggestion shades over into the ordinary exchange of ideas, propositions, and impressions. Just as the tension shades over into a neutral perception. To be suggestible means thus to be provided with a psychophysical apparatus in which new propositions for actions close easily the channels for antagonistic activity. Such an apparatus carries with it the disadvantage that the personality may too easily be guided contrary to his own knowledge and experience. He will be carried away by every new proposition and will accept beliefs which his own thoughts ought to reject. On the other hand, it was the advantage that he will be open to new ideas, be ready to follow good examples, never stubbornly close his mind to the unaccustomed and the uncomfortable. It is easy to determine the degree of suggestibility. Take this case. I draw on the blackboard of the classroom two circles of an equal size and write in the one the number 14 and in the other the number 89, and ask the children which is the larger circle. The suggestible ones will believe that the circle with the higher number in it is really larger than the other. The unsuggestible children will follow the advice of their senses and call both equal, and there may be a few children with negative suggestibility who would call the circle with the higher number the smaller circle. What happened to the suggestible ones was that the higher number brought about a motor attitude which faced the whole complex as being more imposing, and this new motor setting was, with them, strong enough to overcome the motor adjustment which the circles alone produced. Such experiments of the psychological laboratory can be varied a thousandfold, and it may not be unwise to introduce them into many practical fields. 
everybody knows for instance how much may depend upon the suggestibility of the witness in court the suggestible witness believes himself to have seen and heard what the lawyer suggests the memory picture which such a witness has in mind offers of course much less resistance to the opposite action and attitude and belief than the immediate impression if i show the witness a colored picture of a room and close the book and ask him whether there were three or four chairs in the picture and whether the curtain was green or red the suggestible man will decide for one or the other proposition even if there were only two chairs and a blue curtain the perception would have resisted the suggestion the fading memory image cannot resist it thus suggestibility is really a practical factor in every walk of life and it is in the highest interests of psychotherapy that this intimate connection between suggestion and ordinary talk and intercourse between suggestion and ordinary choice of motives between suggestion and attention be steadily kept in view and that suggestion is not transformed into a kind of mysterious agency to be sure the importance of suggestion for psychotherapy is not confined to the suggestive processes of everyday life they play a role there as we shall see and we shall claim that even the mere presence of the physician may have its suggestive power and so may every remedy which he applies but no doubt many of his suggestive effects depend on a power which far transcends the suggestions of our daily life yet the psychologist must insist again that no new principle is involved that even in the strongest forms of suggestion in hypnotism nothing depends upon any special influence emanating from the mind of the hypnotizer or upon any special power flowing over from brain to brain but that everything results from the change of equilibrium in the psychomotor processes of the hypnotized and thus upon the interplay of his own mental functions all that is needed is a higher degree of suggestibility than is found in the normal life in a more suggestible mind even the direct sense impressions may be overwhelmed by the proposition for an untrue belief and the strongest desires may yield to the new propositions of action this library may then become a garden where the hypnotized person picks flowers from the floor and the wise man stands on one leg and repeats the alphabet if the hypnotizer asks him to do so let us consider at first this extreme case by a few manipulations i have brought a man into a deep hypnotic state he is now unable to resist any suggestion either suggestion of impulse or suggestion of belief and as every one of the hypnotic phenomena can be explained in this way we may claim that the hypnotic state is in its very nature a state of reinforced suggestibility whether i say you will not move your arm or whether i say you cannot move your arm awakening in the one case the impulse to the suppression of the movement in the other case the belief in the impossibility of the movement in either case the result is the same the arm remains stiff and any effort of his to move it is inhibited i may go to the extreme and tell him that our friend by my side has left the room he will not see him he will not even hear a word which the friend speaks 
if i take a hat in my hand and put it on the friend's head the hat appears to hang in the air every impression of sound or sight or touch which comes from the friend is entirely inhibited the direct sense impression of eye and ear is thus completely overwhelmed by the suggestion what has happened are the manipulations which i applied sufficient to produce the changes by their physical influence certainly not they are of the most different kinds and yet all may have the same effect perhaps i may have used the easy method of making the subject stare at a shining button held in front of his forehead or i may have used slight tactual impressions while he was lying with closed eyes or i may have produced the abnormal state by monotonous noises of falling water drops or i may have simply spoken to him and asked him to think of sleep and to relax and to feel tired while i held my hand on his forehead or while i held his hand in mine or i may have relied upon mild talking without touching him at all and every time the result was reached in the same degree there is thus certainly no special physical energy which like a magnetic force flows over it cannot even be said that my will is engaged i have often hypnotized without even thinking of the subject before me going through adjusted manipulations while my thoughts were engaged in something else i have even hypnotized over the phone and a written note may be substituted with the same result i write to the patient that two minutes after receiving this letter by mail he will fall into hypnotic sleep the effect sets in and yet at that time i may not remember sending the note at all it is thus entirely evident that the hypnotic effect results only from the mental conditions of the subject whatever may stimulate his mind to the right kind of reaction will produce the desired result the increased suggestibility thus sets in by his own imagination which may be stirred up by slight visual or textual or acoustic stimuli or by monotonous words or by feelings of relaxation and especially by words which encourage sleep but just because it is the play of his own imagination the most essential factor certainly is the will and expectation of the subject no one can really be hypnotized against his own will and to expect strong hypnotic effect from a certain hypnotist is often in itself sufficient to produce hypnotic sleep thus there is no special personal power necessary to produce hypnotism everybody can hypnotize and almost with the same sweeping statement it may be said everybody can be hypnotized provided that he is willing to enter into this play of imagination the young child or the insane person is therefore unfit of course not everybody can be hypnotized to the same degree just as the normal suggestibility showed itself very different with different persons the degree of artificial reinforcement varies still more practically everybody can be brought to that breakdown of the resistance in which he can no longer open the eyes against the order of the hypnotist but rather few can be brought to the point of seeing extended hallucinations or accepting the disappearance of persons who are speaking or of yielding to the impulse to a dangerous idea the highest reported degree in which even criminal actions are performed by honest men exists in my opinion only in the imagination of amateurs 
It is certainly not difficult to produce sham crimes for performance sake, with paper daggers and toy pistols, but that is no proof at all that the hypnotized person would commit a crime under conditions under which he has the conviction that he faces a real criminal situation. But if we abstract from real crime, we certainly have to acknowledge that actions can be performed which appear in striking contrast with the habits and character of the normal personality, upset his knowledge, and are based on beliefs which would be immediately rejected under ordinary conditions. These higher degrees of hypnotic state are easily followed by complete loss of memory for all that happened during the abnormal state. How have we to interpret such a surprising alteration of mind? It lies near to comparative sleep. The brain seems powerless to produce its normal ideas. The associations do not arise. The normal impulses have disappeared, and a general ineffectiveness has set in. In short, the brain cells seem unable to function. Of course, the explanation of sleep itself may offer difficulties. Is it a chemical substance which poisons the brain during the sleep? Or are the brain cells contracted so that the excitement cannot run over from the branches of one nerve cell into those of another? Or are the blood vessels contracted so that an anemic state makes their normal function impossible? But whatever the physical condition of sleep may be, have we really a right to emphasize the similarity between sleep and hypnosis? After all that we have discussed, we ought rather to recognize that the hypnotic state too comes much nearer to the process of attention than to the process of sleep. We saw that in every act of attention the process of inhibition is essential. All that is not in harmony with the attended idea is suppressed. Yet we should hesitate to say that in attention parts of our brain are asleep. We should feel reluctance to group such inhibition together with sleep because it would be a sleep which at any moment can pass from one part of the brain to others and which certainly leaves at every moment most of the cell groups unaffected. We saw that attention does not at all focus on one narrow point, but that an abundance of impressions, of ideas and associations, of thoughts and emotions can enter the field of attention if they all lead to one and the same motor attitude, and that only the one part is inhibited, which involves the opposite action. Such a jumping sleep, which at every moment selects a special part, would be, of course, just the contrary of that which characterizes the sleep state of the fatigued brain. But exactly these characteristics of attention belong to hypnotism too. It is not true that the mind of the hypnotized is asleep, and that perhaps only one or the other idea can be pushed into his mind. On the contrary, his mind is open to an abundance of ideas, just as in the normal state. If I tell him that this is a landscape in Switzerland, he sees at once the mountains and the lakes, and his mind provides all the details of his reminiscences 
and his imagination furnishes plenty of additions. His whole mind is awake. The feelings and emotions and volitions, the memories and judgments and thoughts are rushing on, and only that is excluded which demands a contrary attitude. This selective process stands decidedly in the center of the hypnotic experience and makes it very doubtful whether we are psychophysically on the right track if we make much of the slight similarity between hypnosis and sleep. This has nothing to do with the fact that hypnosis is best brought about by suggesting the idea of sleep, that is, the belief that sleep will set in. This belief is indeed effective in removing all the ideas which are awake in the mind which would interfere with the willingness to submit to the suggestions of the hypnotizer. But the fact that belief in sleep and expectation of sleep bring with them the hypnotic state is not a proof that the hypnotic state itself is sleep. Even the mental experiences which can remain in sleep, the dreams, are characteristically different from the hypnotic experience. Thus the dreams show that unselective awakening of ideas which is to be expected from a general decrease of functioning. The hypnotic variation is characterized just by its selective narrowing of consciousness. For the same reason, hypnotism is strikingly different from such diseases of the mind as dementia. Certainly, in dementia too, many associations are cut off, but it is not a selective inhibition. It is a haphazard destruction resulting from the degeneration in the brain. The fundamental principle of the hypnotic state lies in its selective character. Inhibited and cut off are those states which are antagonistic to the beliefs in the suggested ideas, and as their antagonism consists in their connection with opposite actions, the whole is again a question of motor setting. No doubt such new motor setting can precede the normal sleep too. Thus, the sleeper may be insensitive to any surrounding noises, but perhaps awake at the slightest call from a patient who is entrusted to his care. In that case, one special feature of hypnotism is superadded to sleep, but the sleep itself is not hypnotic. Again, sleep may go over into a state which shares many characteristic features with hypnotism, that is, somnambulism, and it may be said with a certain truth that hypnotism is artificial somnambulism. But somnambulism, while arising in sleep, is not at all a feature of sleep. While sleep is characterized by a decrease of sensitiveness and of selective powers, the selective process of hypnotism rather reinforces sensitiveness and memory in every field which is covered by the suggestive influence. Stimuli may become noticeable, which the normal man is unable to perceive, and long-forgotten experiences, which seem inaccessible to the search of the waking mind, may reproduce themselves and may vividly enter consciousness. Again, we have their symptoms which rather characterize the state of overtension than the state of sleep. We might add further that we know states with all the characteristics of hypnotism in which even the sub subjective idea of sleep is entirely absent. For instance, 
all those which are usually called states of fascination. A certain shining light or a glimpse of an uncanny eye may startle and upset the imagination of the subject and throw him into a state of abnormally increased suggestibility. It is well known that whole epidemics of such captivation have occurred and have resulted in hysterias of the masses in which these subjects became the slaves of their impulse, perhaps to imitate what they see or hear, or realize ideas in which they believe, without logical warrant. They surely are not asleep, are not even partially asleep. Every center of their brains would be ready to work, if the captivated attention were not forcing the mind in one direction, and selectively suppressing every impulse to opposite actions. The developed hypnotism finally shades off into innumerable states of hypnoid character in which these sleep-like symptoms are entirely in the background. Thus, the increased suggestibility of the hypnotic state will result not from a partial sleep-like decrease of functioning, but the decrease of function is a motor inhibition which results from over-attention. In the ordinary attention, our motor setting secures only an increase in clearness and vividness of the attended idea. But in an abnormal over-attention, the new motor setting provides a complete acceptance with all its consequences. Abnormal or heightened attention thus goes directly over into the belief and into the impulse without resistance. There is no hypnotism which does not contain from the first stage this definite relation to certain objects of attention, usually to a particular person. All the manipulations, passes, fixation, monotonous speaking, and so on, narrow the contents of consciousness, but hold the idea of the hypnotizing person steadily in the center of attention. The awakened expectation of sleep, the associated feeling of tiredness, all help to cut off attention from the remainder of the world. But as no real sleep sets in, this cutting off from the remainder reinforces the focusing of attention on the one central idea of the hypnotizing personality. Every word and every movement of this personality become therefore absorbed with that over-attention which leads at once from a mere perceiving and grasping to a complete sinking into the suggested idea with the suppression of all opposites, and thus to a blind acceptance and belief. We saw before that such belief is indeed nothing else but a motor setting in which certain ways of action are prepared. We are to think in accordance with the belief in the suggested idea and the channels for discharge in the opposite direction are closed. Even the ordinary life shows us everywhere that the step from attention to belief is a short one. The effort to grasp the object clearly works as a suggestion to accept that which we are seeking as really existing, and that from which we are to abstract and which we are to rule out through our attention, we believe to be non-existent. The prestidigitator does his tricks in order to sidetrack our attention, but he succeeds in making us believe that we see or do not see whatever he wishes. 
that the motor setting alone determines those changes and that a real sleep-like inability of the centers does not set in can also be demonstrated by the results of later hypnotizations i ask my hypnotized subject not to perceive the friend in the room he is indeed unable to see him or to hear him yet his visual and acoustic centers are not impaired the defect is only selective inasmuch as he sees me the hypnotizer and not the friend but even this selection inhibits only the attitude and not the sensorial excitement if i hypnotize him again tomorrow and suggest to him now to remember all that the friend did and said during yesterday's meeting he is able to report correctly the sense impressions which he got which were inhibited only as long as they contradicted the suggestion but now rush to consciousness as soon as the suggestion is reversed as a matter of course he must therefore have received impressions through eye and ear in his hypnotic sleep of yesterday from all that happened only he was not aware of it because the channels of the accepting attitude were blocked as soon as the overattention has produced the acceptance of the belief all further effects are automatic and necessary if i tell the hypnotized person that he cannot speak and he absorbs this proposition with that completeness in which he accepts it is a fact not speaking itself unavoidably results the motor ideas with which the speech movement has to start are cut off and the subject yields passively to the fate that he cannot intonate his voice thus a special influence on the will is in no way involved if the idea is accepted and that means if the preparatory setting for the action has been completed the ideas of opposite activity must remain ineffective the suggested idea must discharge itself in action without resistance as a matter of course the new line of action will then surround itself with its own associations and will thus give to the subject the impression that he is acting from his own motives as soon as the psychophysical principles are understood there is indeed no difficulty in going from the simplest experience to those spectacular ones where we may suggest to the profoundly hypnotized person that he is a little child or that he is george washington in the one case he will speak and cry and play and write as in his present imagination a child would behave in the other case he will pose in an attitude which he may have seen in a picture of washington there is nothing mysterious and his utterances are completely dependent upon his own ideas which may be very different from the real wisdom of a washington and the real unwisdom of a child i may suggest to him to be the czar by that he will not become able to speak russian in the same way i may suggest changes of the surroundings he may take my room for the river upon which he paddles his canoe or for the orchard in which he picks apples from my bookshelves finally there is no new principle involved if the action which is prepared by any belief has to set in after the awaking from hypnotic sleep the so-called post-hypnotic suggestion if as a matter of course just these have an eminent value for psychotherapy i may suggest today that the subject will overcome tomorrow his desire for the morphine injection 
or that he will feel tonight the restfulness which will overcome his insomnia but if the suggestion of an idea means belief and if belief means a preparation for action we have indeed no new factor before us if the action for which we prepare the subject is from the start related to a definite time if we do not link it with the consciousness of a special time or of a special occasion which will occur later the suggestion soon fades away that my library is an orchard is forgotten perhaps within ten minutes if i have not come back to it in the conversation but if i say that after awaking as soon as i shall knock on my desk three times you will be in the orchard again the psychophysical apparatus is prepared a new setting has set in the three knocks will bring about the complete transformation in short the difficulties disappear as soon as we are consistent in interpreting all suggestive influences as changes in the motor setting and as a result of the antagonistic character of all of our motor paths we say the difficulties disappear of course that is meant in a relative sense only it means essentially that we are able to bring the complex state of hypnotism down to the similar state of attention and motor adjustment but of course we must not forget that we are far from a satisfactory explanation of the process in attention itself we know that the opening of motor channels in one direction somewhat closes the channels for discharge in the opposite direction, but what mechanism does that work is still very obscure. Whichever principle of hypothetical explanation we might prefer, it certainly leads to difficulties in view of the extreme complexity of attention in states of suggestion and hypnotism. We might think of a mechanism which through the medium of the finest blood vessels should produce a localized anemia in those centers which lead to the antagonistic action or we might fancy that by extremely subtle machinery the resistance is increased in those tissues which lie between the various neurons or we might even think of toxic and antitoxic processes in the cerebral regions and any day may open entirely new ways of explanation we may add that even if the mechanism of attention were completely explained we are also still far from understanding the physiological changes which go on in the sphere of the blood vessels or of the glands and the internal organs we understand easily that the idea of the subject that he cannot move his arm keeps the arm stiff but that his idea to blush really dilates the blood vessels of his cheek is much less open to our causal understanding still less that in very exceptional cases perhaps a part of the skin becomes inflamed if we make believe that we touch it with a glowing iron and yet here too we see that we move in the same direction and that we have to explain these exceptional and bewildering results by comparing them with the simpler and simpler forms that the process of attention contains all the germs for the whole development in claiming that hypnotism depends upon the overattention to the hypnotizing person we admit that the increased suggestibility belongs entirely to suggestions which come from without 
only that which at least takes its starting point from the words or the movements of the hypnotizer finds oversensitive suggestibility. Ideas which arise merely from the associations of the subject himself have no especially favorable chance for acceptance. But surely we also know states in which the suggestibility for certain of one's own ideas is abnormally increased. Great individual differences exist in that respect in normal life. There are normal hypochondriacs who believe that they feel the symptoms of widely different diseases under the influence of their own ideas, and others who are torturing themselves with fears on account of unjustified beliefs. But the abnormal increase of suggestibility parallel to that of hypnotism for suggestions from without exists for suggestions from within, mainly in nervous diseases, especially in neurasthenic, hysteric, and psychothenic states. Within certain limits, we might almost say that this increase of suggestibility for autosuggestion is the fundamental characteristic of these diseases, just as increase of suggestibility for heterosuggestions characterizes hypnotism. Especially in earlier times, the theory was often proposed that hypnotism is an artificial hysteria. Such a view is untenable today, but that hysteria too shows abundant effects of increased suggestibility is correctly indicated by such a theory. The hysteric patient may by any chance pick up the idea that her right arm is paralyzed or is anesthetic, and that the idea at once transforms itself into a belief, and the belief clings to her like an obsession and produces the effect that she is unable to move the arm or that she does not feel a pinprick on the skin. These autosuggestions may take a firmer hold of the mind than any suggestions from without, but surely such openness to self-implanted beliefs must be acknowledged as symptomatic of disease, while hypnosis, with its impositions, can be broken off at any moment, and thus should no more be classed among the diseases that are sleep and dreams. The hysteric or psychothenic suggestion resists the mere will of breaking it off. Here, therefore, is the classical ground for strong mental counter-influences, that is, for psychotherapeutic treatment. Experience shows that the strongest chance for the development of autosuggestive beliefs exists wherever an emotional disposition is favorable to the arriving belief. But emotion, too, is after all fundamentally a motor reaction. The whole meaning of emotion in the biological sense is that it focuses the actions of man into one channel, cutting off completely all the other impulses and incipient actions. Emotion is, therefore, for the expressions of man what attention is for the impressions. An emotional disposition means thus in every case a certain motor setting by which transition to certain actions is facilitated. It is thus only natural that a belief can settle the more easily, the more it is favored by an emotional disposition, as the motor setting for the one must prepare the other. Hypnosis and hysteria thus represent the highest degrees of suggestibility, the one artificial, 
the other pathological, the one for suggestions from without, the other for suggestions from within. But between these two and the normal state there lie numberless steps of transition. The normal variations themselves may go to a limit where they overlap, the abnormal artificial product, that is, the suggestibility of many normal persons, may reach a degree in which they accept beliefs hardly acceptable to other persons in mild hypnotic condition. Thus, there is no sharp demarcation between suggestions in a waking state and suggestions in a hypnoid state, and the expectation of coming under powerful influence may produce a sufficient change in the motor setting to realize any wonders. Moreover, probably every physician who has a long experience in hypnotizing has found that his confidence in the effectiveness of the deep hypnotic states has been slowly diminished, while his belief in the surprising results of slight hypnotization and of hypnoid states has steadily grown and has encouraged him in his psychotherapeutic efforts. End of chapter 6. Recording by John Thomas Coos.